Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. It was a big win in San Jose. Uh, they're a good team at home, so it was important for us to get in there and, and have a good start. I think we did that. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Review Journal's Golden Edge podcast coming at you after the first two games of the Golden Knights season. I am one of our beat reporters, Ben Goats, with, as always, Dave Shane. Dave, how are you doing? How was your lovely trip to the Bay Area? Awesome. I love going up there. It's great. Used to be up there. I used to live up there. I know. Any, any, any chance for me to go up there and uh, enjoy some of the... Uh, the fine food hideouts that I know of, um, I'm not going to share them because they're secret. But you know, I will. I will plug one though that I didn't actually have. So if you're ever in the Bay Area for real, the cheesesteak shop, not the factory, but the shop, the cheesesteak shop. Like forget so it's Philadelphia, like lower key than the factory. It's the best one I've had. Best one. All they're right. all over there. They're all over the Bay. That's my plug. That's my food plug. We'll give that a plug. We'll give. Estian Sports Mobile from Station Casinos a plug because, of course, the Golden Edge podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos, and we thank them. We, of course, also presented by the Review Journal, so make sure to check out all of Dave and I's work at ReviewJournal.com. We've had some good stuff uh, to start the season so far, and so have the Knights because it's a 2-0 start for them after they swept the Sharks at T-Mobile Arena and at San Jose. The combined score of those two games Nine to two. The Sharks were, of course, without Eric Carlson for game one because he was there with his wife for the birth of their daughter. And they were without Evander Kane for both games after he was suspended following a uh, scuffle with an official in the final preseason game. Uh, but still, those were pretty lopsided scores for just kind of two players missing in one game, key players for the Sharks, and one in the other. Uh, how nice of an opening statement was this by the Knights, Dave? Yeah, I think it was a big one. I think, you know, if we've talked about in the preseason and, you know, if these are two teams that are, you know, going to compete for a division title and and all that sort of stuff, if they're going to have to go through each other to, you know, get where they want to get to. I mean, I know it's only two games in, but right now the Knights are leaps and bounds ahead of of where the Sharks are. I think that was just evident in the two games. I mean, take Carlson out of the first game, but even in the second game, I thought he was rusty. That turnover that that led to a goal. Um, Kane is, I think, a big missing piece. We talked about it last time. You know, for all of the other stuff, he, he's a 30-goal scorer. And you saw, I mean, DeBoer was already kind of juggling lines and putting, like, LeBanc down on a third line with Thornton. And, you know, well, this is Golden Edge. And I know we have, you know, it's a Golden Knights podcast, so I don't want to talk, you know, too much about the Sharks. Um, but there were a lot of red flags on their end. No, they seem to be in disarray. And Pete DeBoer yeah. was... Very not happy after the first game at T-Mobile Arena. I imagine he wasn't happy with their performance Friday either. Uh, the Knights not just looked better. They just didn't make mistakes. And the Sharks made a ton of mistakes. I mean, we saw it early on in the first game. I mean, the Sharks have this awful turnover behind their own net. I believe it was uh, Mark Edward Vlasic sending a pass to uh, his defense partner, Prout. Just fumbled it, went right to William Carlson, mm-hmm. set up Riley Smith for an easy tap-in goal. Obviously, Brent Burns takes out his fellow guy on the penalty kill, which leads to a or power play for the Sharks, which leads to a 2-1-0 shorthanded for the Knights that William Carlson and Riley Smith cash in. On Friday, Martin Jones gives up a pretty easy five-hole goal to William Carey, and all of a sudden the Knights are rolling with momentum in San Jose when, you know, if Martin Jones makes that stop, 
who knows? I mean, the Knights certainly look better. But as I mentioned, Eric Carlson just played a two-on-one shorthanded, I thought, wrong, too, with Mark Stone and Tomas Nosik, where he didn't pressure Stone enough, gave Stone enough time to make a really good pass, and then Nosik finished. So the Sharks just seemed undisciplined. They made a lot of mistakes, and the Knights were just there to capitalize. So all that being said, the one thing that really stood out was the Knights looked fast. Yes. And we had we, – we, we, we sort of struggled to see that last year. Teams did a really good job slowing them down. Clogging take, the neutral zone. Taking away certain things, yeah. It, it was the same team, and it was just two games, but the Knights looked more like they looked kind of in that first year where they were over to, able to overwhelm teams you know, with their speed, with their quickness. You bring up the, the Martin Jones, the, the Carrier goal. What actually stood out to me was just kind of the buildup to it. The Zekoff banking it off the wall, Nosek picking it off, kind of making a really blind nice play. No look pass and, and carry a streaky. It was bang, bang, bang. It was that quick, you know, fast through the neutral zone, you know, that that type of movement and getting the puck off your stick. Yeah, yep. yeah, that that we saw that first year. That was the most, I guess, encouraging or, or or whatever you want to put to it. The thing that stood out the most, I guess, to me from it all is they got back to just kind of overwhelming, I thought, the Sharks with their speed in, in a lot of aspects. It was dangerous. They were dangerous on the PK. You know, you wrote about that, you know, Carlson had, and Smith um, and just, yeah. you know, how dangerous they are offensively, you know, on a PK. And those a lot of it's guys, from speed. Yeah, those two guys created three shorthanded scoring chances in those two games and allowed four. So their penalty kill was literally almost as dangerous as the Sharks. And, of course, the penalty kill went 10 for 10 in those two games against the Sharks and scored uh, three total shorthanded goals because, obviously, there's a one. 2-0 with Riley Smith and William Carlson, I mentioned. Carlson set up Braden McNabb, which is a beautiful pass across the zone for a second one, and then Mark Stone and Tomas Nosek. They were probably on one. pretty motivated to kill some penalties, I think, against the Sharks, right? I think they right? were, and they right. certainly yeah. made an opening statement. They've made a lot of statements against the Sharks. As you pointed out in your uh, second gamer, the Knights are 7-1-2 in the regular season against San Jose. Now, I get that all people care about, and probably all that people should care about, is that it's 1-1 in terms of playoff series. But this has not actually been that exciting during the regular season. And already, these teams only play four times this year, and they're actually going to wrap up before we even get to 2020, which is kind of a weird scheduling quirk. But the Knights are 2-0 already, so they, at worst, are going to split the season series of this you know, rivalry. Right, and I don't, I'm terrible with the tiebreakers if it comes down to it, but anything head-to-head, you know? Mm-hmm. you. They, I mean, there are, the like you said, there are the worst they could do is split at this point. They're already, like, you know, kind of advantage nights, I guess, when it comes to, to all that sort of stuff. And they play Calgary this week, you know? So, you know, what, one of the things we kind of talked about and sort of built up was the Knights had kind of feasted on the Pacific Division, and it was supposed to be a little better in the middle, I guess you'd say this year, you know, teams like Arizona are supposed to be a little bit better. Vancouver's supposed to be a little bit better. Edmonton was out there running around like, you know, I thought this was a, cr- a great reference. Some some folks are referencing like Smythe Division hockey with that that game against the Kings. But, you know, they hung six goals. Yeah. So if they're a team that, you know, is going to be tough, those, those points are tough to come by. If you're getting four points from two games head-to-head against the Sharks, you know, uh, I mean, that's a good head start, put it that way. Oh, definitely, especially because the Knights play a lot of division games to start. They, of course, have the Boston Bruins here on Tuesday. We're recording on Monday. 
before that game happens, so we don't obviously have an update on what happened there. But outside of that Bruins games, uh, five out of their first six are against the Pacific. So it's a chance for the Knights not just to make an early statement against the Sharks, but to make an early statement against some of the other Pacific Division teams that, hey, you're going to have to play catch-up to us this year because, of course, the Knights had to play catch up to other teams last year and we'll get to why actually a little bit later on in the show Uh, but the other big thing from these first two games were the rookies Uh, we saw two guys get their first two shots in the NHL in these two games in uh, Cody Glass the Knights first ever draft pick he's played both games he's been their second line center he's the number six overall pick in 2017 and he scored in his NHL debut day which I think just had to be an awesome moment for him and his family because his dad and his brother were at the game. You saw his reaction afterward, like on all the gifts. I think the TV caught it. Like there's joy, and then there's just that pure, like unfiltered, youthful excitement that Cody Glass had. That look on his face, you know. I mean, we don't get too, you know, we're a little desensitized, but every now and again, you just see something like that. You're kind of reminded of it, you know. The, so one of the things I asked, you know, some of the players about, you know, is just when you have those rookies around and, and you've been around for a while, you it kind of reminds you, hey, you know, we're having fun. This is supposed to be, you know, exciting in a game and we think about it as work and a job, but you know, these guys are out here just kicking around, enjoying it, twenty years old, you know, it it, it just it reminds you of, you know, being on the pond and one of the things that stood out to me with that that particular play with the Cody Glass play was you could tell Max Pacioretty when he looked up and saw Cody Glass standing there all alone. It was like, oh man, I got, I got this. I got this. I got to get it to him. I got to get it. You know, he had that half beat of like, let me just make sure this, you know, and it was a tough pass. Yeah. Right. Cause he had to kind of feather it over, you know, it really and through and, and all that. Had to get it where the goalie couldn't, you know, poke check it away and that to where Cody Glass could still, you know, kind of redirect it back where Martin Jones was coming from. Um, but everybody kind of wanted to Cody Glass to succeed. Everybody wanted, you know, Cody Glass to to kind of have his moment. I think, as much as he loves it, and as much as it's going to be memorable, mem- ooh, excuse me, memorable for him. Words are hard. It's a money. Yeah, right? words are hard. Uh, it's also memorable for Mark Stone and Patch Ready and everybody else on that on that team to kind of see it too. Yeah, it was a great story uh, by you this morning, and I think it's totally fair. I mean, Max Patch Ready admitted after that game, like. Yeah, I was trying to make Cody look good. And, you know, on some level, I'm sure they get tired of all of us just wanting to ask about him constantly just because he's the new thing. But it was cool to see how the locker room kind of reacted to his debut as well. And obviously he was emotional after the game because, you know, he scored his dad, who was a postal worker, uh, who had to work really hard to keep two sons in hockey, uh, Cody's older brother Matthew is no longer playing hockey he did play when he's growing up but retired because of a concussion but obviously hockey is an expensive sport so we have you know two kids and uh I believe since his parents divorced his dad's kind of raised the, the two of them on their own you know it wasn't always easy so for them to share that moment was really cool I mean Cody said after the game the puck for my first goal is going right to my dad so we can put it you know wherever he wants to so yeah I think all of that stuff even for us it kind of like takes you back of like oh wow like that's a moment that that family is going to remember forever like regardless of where his career goes from here and obviously the Knights hope it continues to go upward uh that's going to be something that they cherish for a really long time and as you said I think his line mates will too because it's really cool to hear Mark Stone talk about how that brought him back to the pond and 
you know, how when you're a kid, either playing, like I said, on the pond or even in the street, and you're thinking, like, oh, okay, and here's where I score my first goal on, you know, Brayton Holtby or Marc-Andre Fleury or whoever, and now Cody Glass had that come true where he can say, yeah, I scored my first NHL goal off a redirection from Max Pacioretty after Mark Stone had a great keep-in at the blue line, and I beat Martin Jones, who was in a Stanley Cup final once, and that's pretty cool. And then, obviously, outside of Cody Glass, Nick Hag, the defenseman, made his debut in Game 2 against the Sharks because Nate Schmidt got hurt, which, as I kind of previously hinted at before, we'll get to in a second. Uh, his parents also made the trek. They traveled from Ontario to San Jose to see him. Uh, how do you think Nick Hag looked? He's a little bit less noticeable because he was playing on a third defense pair, so he wasn't put in a showcase position as much as Cody Glass was. But how do you think he did? Well, I thought it was funny that I guess, you know, Cody Glass scores in his first game and Nick Hay got thrown out of his first game. So different strokes. Much, yeah, you know, he'll pretty much always have that story for uh for the grandkids, I guess. Um, like you said, I mean they were kind of throwing ten minute misconducts around like, you know, almonds or whatever at the at the circus and and all that sort of stuff. I it's a funny story, but in all seriousness, I thought he played pretty well. I thought early on he looked like a rookie, and it's a tough environment to to walk in there. It's loud and it's rabid, and the fans are right on top of you. I thought there were a couple shifts early on where it just looked like he was kind of struggling to pick up just the defensive coverage. But I thought as the game went along, you didn't really notice him, which is what you want, right? You, you know what I mean? It, it, he didn't look out of place. I worried about that pairing with him in England because. Obviously, they're not the swiftest of skaters, but I don't remember anything where you just looked and you went like, oh, man, they're just getting blown by every single time. It didn't happen like that. So from that standpoint, for him to be able to kind of grow into the game, kind of figure out, okay, what, what you know, adjust to the speed, what's it going to take to, you know, be successful at the NHL level, I thought it was a good debut. Yeah, no, I thought it was fine. And like you said, I didn't really notice him, especially in the second and third periods. And that's probably a good thing for him, especially for a defenseman who's, you know, on a third pair, pretty much just going to be asked to hold the fort. He did take Schmidt's spot on the second power play, and we'll kind of see how he continues to develop there. Um, But the highlights of their debut, we will say, are really funny because they are two good friends, Haig and Cody Glass. They were roommates in camp this year. Glass actually stayed with or Haig in Toronto for about a month or so, they said, during the summer because Cody Glass uh, went to do some workouts around there. So the fact that Cody scored in his NHL debut and then all of us rushed to ask Nick Hag, like, are you going to score too? And he's like, uh, I'm not really focused on that. And instead can say, like, you might have scored, but how often do you get tossed from a game? <laughs> right, right. Is pretty cool. Yeah, I know he was, he kind of joked, I think it was like, well, I'll let Cody score and I'll worry about keeping it out of the net. So I'm sure he was more pleased with, you know, playing almost 14 minutes and you know, not having any major blemishes and, and things like that. I mean, like I said, I mean, that's a that's a tough spot to go in your first yes. game, you know, on the road. I mean, he didn't even get a home game. It, it was on the road. Right, and we talked know? about how, you know, part of the reason we thought they might be holding him out because they actually did call him back up for their season a debut or first game of the season against the Jose Sharks is that the legs might be shaking a little bit for a rookie if their debut was in – Game one of a season for the home opener against the big rival, and we knew T-Mobile Arena was going to be crazy. And instead, oh, let's just throw them into a hostile road atmosphere against our rival in their home opener. 
but he handled it pretty well. I mean, like I said, no major mistakes, didn't seem to be fighting the puck at all, uh, and settled in after the first period or so. What I think will be interesting, and, you know, obviously right now, Nate Schmidt is week to week. So whatever kind of vague, I guess, you know, number, you know, four to six weeks or whatever that might be. Right now, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for Nick Haig to basically grab a job and hold on to it. I mean, whether folks like it or not, you know, injuries kind of happen, and that's how opportunities sort of, sort of come about. You know, you grab it, you get hold of it, and you don't let it go. And and I'm sure that's what Nick Hague's, you know, kind of looking at right now. If he's able to, you know, kind of play well during this stretch, because it looks like right now, he's he's getting the nod over Jimmy Schultz. Yeah, he, he's the one that they're giving kind of first run to here. Yeah. So if he's able to to grab it and go, I mean. Potentially, we could see him in the lineup, you know, for the foreseeable future. I mean, he could become a fixture. I mean, obviously, Nate's going to come back. Obviously, Nate Schmidt's going to be in the lineup. But at that point, if he plays well, you know, like they always say in training camp, you want to make them have a hard decision. And and if Nick Hague continues to grow and play well, you know, the Golden Knights are going to have a hard decision on on where he's going to fit in the lineup. And if he stays... You know, and and maybe where the competition is and who's kind of then fighting for a job. The Golden Edge Podcast will be right back. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. Let's actually back up just a second to address the Nate Schmidt injury. Uh, he had a knee-to-knee hit with Sharks captain Logan Couture in the first period of Game 1, and he actually had to be helped off the ice, had to be helped in the locker room, was announced during that game that, of course, he was not returning. And yeah, then Jorgalant, before I could even ask him about it, cut me off the next day at practice. Like, he's week-to-week lower body. So I got the message. Um, that actually does sound like a positive for the Knights. As weird as that sounds, because anytime you're dealing with a pretty, what seems to be a pretty clear knee injury. I mean, week to week is probably the best you were going to hope for uh, based on that. Of course, uh, Schmidt is really important to the Knights. He's their number one defenseman. He was, of course, suspended for the first 20 games last season, and they went 8-11-1 with that. And not only did the record kind of reflect how much he changed that team, everyone said how much he changed that team. I mean, players and of course George Gallant were just flat out admitting it like we are a different team when Nate Schmidt is on the ice with us and of course now we don't know necessarily when he'll return it's kind of interesting because last year they had vets kind of waiting in the wings to fill in for him you know John Merrill kind of became an every night presence because of Schmidt's absence and yeah this year it's Hag that's getting the nod it's a homegrown rookie that's getting an eye was just not a position the Golden Knights have uh, been in before. And so it's kind of interesting to see how they'll handle juggling, you know, him being a necessary fill-in and then kind of his development as well. The other one I would say that I would add into all the mix here is Shea Theodore. And and again, it's kind of about opportunity. And, and you never know when it's going to come about. Circumstances sometimes are out of your control. And, and he's somebody that, you know, when they picked him up in the expansion draft, And even going back to when Anaheim drafted him in the first round, he's a guy that was projected as potentially a number one defenseman. And I know Gerard Gallant uses his defenseman a little differently. There's not really, 
you know, a guy that, that like you look at and say, oh, he's going to play like 25 minutes, 28 minutes a game or something. They don't really distribute their minutes that way. It's much more evenly distributed, but he does try to match up. And, and Ryan McGill, who does the defenseman, does try to match up, you know, usually a particular pair against a particular line. And Nate Schmidt usually gets that assignment against the other team's best line. Well, now it's got to kind of be Shea Theodore, right? right. Got to be McNabb and Theodore. You know, so it's a big opportunity for Theodore to kind of step in and and really be kind of a number one guy. You know, we, we talked about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and, and obviously he, you know, had his announcement over the summer and, and his diagnosis, his treatment. He felt good. He's supposed to, you know, he, he's ready to go this season. We, we've kind of seen it right away. Big things were kind of projected for him this year, regardless of whether Nate Schmidt was in the lineup. You, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. So, so from this standpoint, for him to kind of have an opportunity to really jump, you know, to the forefront and, and be a guy that Jared Glenn can rely on for big minutes, you know, it, it's it's kind of a big chance for him. No, definitely. And we'll see his kind of first opportunity Tuesday against the Bruins. I think a lot of people will be listening to this afterwards, but obviously the Bruins have probably the best line in hockey in uh, Brad Marchand, uh, Patrice Bergeron, and of course David Pasternak. And so if Theodore and McNabb kind of get that call to handle those three guys, it's going to be really interesting to see what they kind of do with that assignment. I assume they'll have William Carlson's line in front of them for most of the time to kind of help out, but that's going to be the first time that they're really going to rely on Shea being disciplined, being steady, not being too aggressive and then, you know, forcing his teammates to kind of cover for him on the back end. Because against those guys, it's really difficult to cover on the back end against them. Right. And Jargaline even talked about it a couple of days ago, just, you know, that early in his career, obviously Shea was known as, you know, kind of a little one-dimensional, an offensive, you know, minded guy struggled in a defensive zone. And I think, you know, last year we saw him, I thought, really take a big step forward in the in the defensive zone with his coverage and awareness, things like that. You know, and and you you'd want to see that again this year. You know, you want to see that that next step forward in, in in his development. So these are all going to be you know big challenges for him. But I'm sure it's also something that the Golden Knights probably projected for him at some point anyway. So you know, like like Charlie Lance said with the rookies, hey, let's go. You know, throw him in, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of the same thing with with Shea Theodore. I mean, he's been around. He's 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 a proven commodity at this point. But yeah, you'd also like to see him, you know, take that next step and and be able to to shut some guys down, you know, have have these efforts, you know, 22, 23 minute night efforts say, you know, and and really kind of show that he's the number one guy. For sure. Uh, we'll do some quick other injury updates here. We got Alex Tuck is week to week with an upper body injury that he uh, sustained in their second to last preseason game. We did tell you that last time, but now we know he was placed on long-term injured reserve for cap reasons. That means the earliest he can return and play a game for the Knights is October 22nd, game 11. And then also we have Cody Eakin is day-to-day with an upper body injury. He skated on his own Sunday, so he is clearly the closest to making a return. He actually might be healthy, who knows, by the time we're listening to this. But Jargalant said he probably would not play Tuesday against the Bruins, which leads to an interesting question, Dave, about the Knights' center depth. Because right now they got William Carlson off to a great start to the year. Cody Glass, who's a rookie, and he's looked, you know, I would say decent. He's looked better on the power play, as we kind of know. He's still kind of figuring it out, I think, five on five. Uh, Paul Stasny, who's obviously on this team, is kind of holding their third line together with Brandon Peary and Valentin Zikoff. It's looked fine, which for the Knights is actually pretty good. And then, of course, Tomas Nosek is actually playing really well 
as their fourth line center so far. I mean, you mentioned they've kind of got an extra speed element to that line now. He's got already a couple goals from his two-goal performance against the San Jose Sharks. So, I mean, they've got four guys down the middle right now, so where is Eakin going to fit back into this puzzle? We we kind of buried the lead on this one, huh? This seems like to be like the big issue, right? I mean... Well, we'll see. It's one of those things where I like talking about this stuff, but... Who knows what happens in Tuesday's game and maybe something happened where it's no longer an issue, but... Of course, and I'm the same way, but this does seem to be like the the big kind of number one question looming. Um, What My interpretation of it is what happens to Cody Glass. Yep. That's kind of the ultimate, you know, subset or or, or whatever of this whole thing. Yeah, okay, what do we do in the... But it's really about what, what happens with Cody Glass and has he solidified himself to where they say he has to be in this lineup. So I would say at this point, my expectation is that Cody Glass would actually probably be the odd man out. I would actually expect him to probably go back down to to Chicago once Cody Eakin is healthy. Now, something could happen in the next couple games. I mean, we've seen him make a couple plays. He made a play in that San Jose game where he made a pass to Stone, and I don't know how Martin Jones made that save, where Stone was kind of cutting across and backhanded and it looked like Jones kind of did a pad stack and got something on it. I mean, it was great, to, but it was a great pass from Cody Glass, and we've seen him do that. He has not looked out of place at all like we talked about earlier. But I don't know if you feel like you have to have him in your lineup right now when you've got you know, Stasny and Eakin, Nosek playing well on the fourth line. You've got all these other things at your disposal right now. For me, the, the decision would be to put Cody Glass down in Chicago, let him play, you know, big minutes down there, play in the power play, do all that. Rather than, you know, maybe have him up here where you're sitting in the press box or, you know, you're kind of playing him every other game or you get into some weird rotation. I I think Gerard Glant's more of, you know, I like my lineup, I'm going to roll with it as long as they're playing well. If they continue to play well, maybe he says, look, this kid's got to be in my lineup. That, then you've got a whole other issue, you know, do you start looking at a trade or, or or what then happens? I don't know. For me right now, though, I look at it and I say, okay, once Cody Eakin is healthy, that I would expect Cody Glass to go to the minors. It's the path of least resistance just because obviously Cody is the only one that's waiver exempt, so they can send him down you know, as if they want to, whereas, of course, with the other guys, you're talking about vets with decent enough salaries. I mean, Nosek doesn't have that huge of a salary, but... Still, at this point, he's playing well as your fourth-line center. I don't know that you would shove him out of there just to fit Cody Eakin back in between those two guys, William Carrier and Ryan Reeves. I just think it's, yeah, Cody Glass has played well. Has he played so well that he's just, like, kicked down the door and said, I'm here to stay? I don't think so yet. As we kind of talked about, he has looked good on the power play. I still think he's got some things he needs to work on five on five. I thought he settled in to Friday's game a lot better than Wednesday's game where I think there was some clear rookie nerves where he wasn't holding on to pucks all the time and he had a couple giveaways that you know he's got to clean up a little bit and if he cleans that up in the AHL I still think that's fine because the Knights should probably still feel like hey if we can get him ready for April that's kind of what we're looking at if we think that he's going to give us the best shot in April and maybe you get to April and even then you don't feel like he gives you the best shot. But at least that's what you should be kind of planning towards, in my opinion. You don't need him to be ready and your second-line guy the entire season because he's still got growing pains. And at 20 years old, that's 
totally fine. I guess w- part of what I would amend with all this is is if he goes down to the minors. Now, it doesn't mean he's not coming back. Oh, absolutely. Because he would absolutely almost certainly come back at some point and play, you know, any number of games. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't just, oh, well, he's going to go back to the minors and he's never going to be seen from again this season. It's almost like the complete opposite. You know, we'll see. We'll see if they then create room, you know, up for the big team with him. I guess maybe my takeaway in in its two games is he played really well. Do do you look at it and go, oh my goodness, he's going to be like a Calder, you know, candidate after these two games? No, you, right? You know, you know what I mean. So from that standpoint, he didn't like blow you away that you're just like, oh, this is the next, you know, superstar. And how in the world could they send this guy down? I didn't quite get that feeling. As good as he played, as well as he's played, as good as he's looked, I I just didn't get that, you know. He's blown me away like Elias Pettersson or somebody did last year. So from that standpoint, I don't think it's a knock on him. Yeah, yeah. let him go down there and play. And then whatever is going to happen, somebody's going to get hurt or there's going to be a move, a trade, you know, whatever. We've seen it throughout the year. All these weird things happen. He's going to come up and he's going to probably continue to play well, you know, and then you look at long term and, and all of that kind of takes care of itself. But but I just think for right now, for for short term, if he goes to the minors, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm I'm, I'm trying to not, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to avoid a, a certain phrase because I don't want to make it out like it's something that it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's just it's just not. No, absolutely not. And it's you know it's a fix for October, not necessarily the entire time of year because there's nothing that's compelling you to make a move uh, to create room for Cody Glass in October. You've got a lot of season left. Stuff's gonna happen. He'll have more opportunities even if he does get sent down it's just a thing where it's probably easier for them to create their lineup uh one through four in terms of lines if they have him down in the minors because you're going to want to put paul stasny back with mark stone and max patch is paul stasny being a good soldier right now being on the third line with uh brandon peary and valentin zikoff absolutely would he be as good of a soldier if he did that for 80 more games i don't know if it were me I wouldn't be. I mean, I I'd mean, be I like... guess if they're winning, though, right? If they're winning, he'd probably be fine with it. But I think he's probably be like, hey, you talked up the fact that I was so good with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone all offseason, and now you're not going to play me with them? I mean, I think that's a fair, at least, question in his head if, once again, they keep this up for 80-some games. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see. And like I said, I think Tomas Nosek's playing too good as a fourth-line center, just like jam Cody Eakin in there just for the sake of having Cody Eakin in your lineup. So I think the group that makes the most sense for them is to have your four centers, if they're all healthy, be Carlson, Stasny, Eakin, Nosek, with Cody Glass kind of on the periphery as that fifth guy who can jump in to one of those top spots if anything ends up happening and we'll see if it does right and then you've got nicholas waugh you know if there's something that happens on the bottom six where you know he's at at their disposal we haven't seen him yet obviously in a you know in an nhl game but i mean i guess i would hearken back even to that first year with the way that they handled alex tuck in shea theodore and they had to go down early and it took a little bit for alex tuck to come up i think he came up like midway through october if i remember right and it took Shea Theodore like a month basically to come up before they were able to kind of, you know, massage the roster, figure out where they're at, you know, basically if, if I remember right, send Jason Garrison off. I, 
you know, and, and, and bring them up. So they'll figure out a way, you know, all these things kind of, kind of work themselves out and, you know, guys either play themselves into spots or out of spots and, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's a life in the NHL. I mean, it's about jobs and competition and they all know that. So, I mean, we talk about this and we speculate, but you know, in the end, it kind of works itself out, I guess. It usually does. And GM Kelly McCrimmon even said before the season, hey, when guys put their hand up and say that they're ready, we've found room for them. And, you know, per our discussion, I don't think either of us think that Cody Glass has necessarily raised his hand all the way up yet. He's maybe got like a little weird elbow thing yeah. going where he's kind of like half, you it's, think you know the answer, but you up. don't want to yeah. put it all the way up because you're a little unsure right now. But it's definitely, it's, it's starting to it's get up getting there. there. It's getting above his head a little bit, you know? So we'll see what uh, Tuesday's game against the Bruin brings because he's expected to play. If he plays really well against what I think is one of the best teams in the NHL, maybe it gets a little higher and then you kind of evaluate from there. Yeah. And we come back and I talk about it completely different, you know? We will see. That is life in the NHL. It's a game-to-game, week-to-week business. We are all Nate Schmidt, really, in this league. Once again, uh, we want to remind you that Golden Edge Podcast is presented by SDN Sports Mobile from Stations Casinos. Also, of course, check out Dave and I's work at ReviewGeneral.com. I think we've had some good stuff on there over the past couple days, and we'll have some good stuff moving forward. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ben S. Goats. He is at David Shane lvrj we are the golden edge podcast once again thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you again real soon